A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, I'm joined by Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison for another busy show. As we look back at the nail-biting fourth Ashes test, England avoiding a potential whitewash by holding out for that dramatic draw at the SCG. And we'll ask, inevitably, how the team should look for this week's fifth test in Hobart. We'll be joined later by West Indies all-rounder Jason Holder and we'll look ahead to England's test match tour in March. We'll hear from a brutally honest Stuart Broad and the England captain, Joe Root. So there's plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Let's look ahead to Hobart then. Uh, today night game, of course. But uh, before we talk about the bowling options, uh, who's going to keep wicket? Johnny Bairstow, Sam Billings or Ollie Pope? Sam Billings has had to drive nine hours um, across Australia to get to, well, see across Australia. It's only going through one, going from two states very close to each other. That tells you how big Australia is. Um, he's had to do some isolation, but he's probably, for me, he would just be there for cover. I would go down the road of Ollie Pope. It's whoever keeps it's a one-off game, right? It's a one-off game. At this minute in time, Ollie Pope's not on the side and I'd like him to get in it because I think... We have a tendency in this country to pick players, discard them when they're 24, 25, 26, and they're, not, they're a better player when they're 29, 30. I'm working with one at the moment, Adam Live. You know, he had a test, two, he's got a test 100. He's probably a better player now than what he was when he, when he played the game. I, for, for Ollie Pope, he's the only one I try and stick with. I don't mind them leaving him out because I think he was a bit frantic in the early part of the Ashes. But I think maybe it is time for him to come back. My, my, my thing with Ollie Pope is, and the mindset of Ollie Pope is, I'd be tempted to go, well, if I can't, you know, Milan's got three sewn up. Root's got four sewn up. Stokes will always bat five. Bairstow is a, he's just getting a test match 100 in Australia at six. If I was Ollie Pope, I'd be tempted to say, if, if I back my gloves, my, my hands, because I thought he kept really well. 69 yeah. overs, I thought he kept really well. Four catches, which was a record, equal record. 
I'd be tempted to go to the, sele- the, the selection panel and say, here, right, give me number seven and give me the gloves. And I tell you what, that would make England a very, very strong unit. Because I, I think the next come off the ranks begs folks. But there's question marks of Ben folks against you know, the quicker bowlers in English conditions, in you know, Caribbean conditions and the ball bouncing. The one thing about Oli Pope, he's a fantastic batsman. And if he's at number seven, he's got time to recover from, from keeping. Was it a one-off, very, very competent, very, very comfortable, looked good for 69 overs? Or is it something that we need to explore? Even if it's just a one-off, I think I'd go into the Hobart Test match with Ollie Pope behind the, behind the sticks because I don't think there's any longevity in Sam Billens. And I think you get your best, you get another one of your best batsmen in the team. So, and then it will be who bats at number five. Bestos at six. Johnny can't keep because I think he's got a busted thumb. So then it'll be a case of who comes in at number five. I don't think Ben Stokes should play. You could see how much it was hurting him. I think we've now we should have sent him home with Josh Butler because the most important thing now is his recovery from that injury, which could take up to two months and more. And then if you're then going and picking him again for the West Indies, you're basically putting him back in a position which has got him injured in the first place. Hasn't played a lot of cricket. Asked to, not with no preparation whatsoever, asked to go and play at test match level against one of the you know one of the top teams in the world in their own back garden, which is Australia. Now, if you go and pick him for the West Indies and he goes to the West Indies and plays, he's going to go in with no preparation. You're you going to ask him to bowl bouncers again. You're potentially getting him injured again. So I, I think it's a difficult decision how you manage Ben Stokes, but I would have sent him home. I don't think there's any, any logic in keeping him in Australia because he just didn't look fit in that second innings. Yes, he got runs. But it was it was the character got runs. It was the heart and the desire that we all know Ben Stokes is great for that got him runs. I'd be tempted not to. I would I would have been tempted to send him home from from Sydney. Okay, let's just remind ourselves of what Joe Root said about uh, Ben Stokes in Sydney after the test. It seemed to like refocus him uh, when he when it came for his, came to him to bat. It, I don't know. You could see you could see he had that look in his eye, which we've seen a couple of times before when he's been playing test cricket and. He looked very much engaged in what was going on. Uh, it was obviously difficult when you see one of your um, most influential players uh, walk off the field, as, as he did clearly in, in a lot of pain. And there was a, a wholehearted effort in many respects from Ben and, and from the rest of the guys as well. His performance with the bat was more like a, a Ben Stokes near his best, which is a really exciting thing to to see you going into the last game. Well, quite clear that uh, Joe Root doesn't sound like a man who wants uh, Ben Stokes to be sent home. And and here's a question I've got for you. Would Ben Stokes really, in any way, however hard he forced himself, have accepted not completing this journey? I mean, I just think the character, that wouldn't he say, no, no way, yeah. I'm finishing this journey? I'm expecting him to do that, but I'm in charge and I'm sending you home. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not, honestly, that's what coaches and managers are for. You see, you, you, I'm sending you home because the reason you've got injured is because you didn't have any preparation. That's not your fault. You, know, you made yourself available for the ashes and there was no cricket leading into it. You know, there was no cricket leading into it. So all the nets, all the indoor schools, all the, the practice that you have in that is fantastic. It's great. There's no substitute for 150 overs in the field, which he did. There's no, no substitute for that. You can be as fit as you want. Now, how do we get him in a position to, to get him body hard, ready, game hardened, his body? 
And that's that that was always gonna be the issue with Ben Stokes. And to ask him time after time to bowl bouncers, you're just asking for him to get injured. It was like it was like during the last last that last test match, Mark Woods bowling. They're setting up a declaration. Mark Woods bowling 150 kilometers an hour. He's he's going into his fifth over. And I'm honestly, I'm on commentary and I'm I'm nearly swearing. What is he bowling for? You know, we've got a bright light that come out of this ashes. And we're potentially, if we want, if we want to win in Hobart, we're potentially putting running Mark, uh, Mark Wood the risk of getting injured here. There's no real need for him to bowl. You've got Jack Leach. Yeah, I know you try to waste time, but I, I, we, I couldn't understand that. And things like that is what contributes to get bowlers injured. And that was what, that's why ben, ben got injured for me. Ben got injured because he didn't have any preparation going into the series. He fielded a countless amounts of time uh, amounts of overs in in the in the test series, and he never got a chance to rest because the batting unit didn't score enough runs. And people will say, "Well, what has the batting unit got to do with Ben Stokes's body?" Ben Stokes fielded nearly every day in that test series. Every day in that test series, Ben Stokes is putting his fielding boots on to go outside and field and stand around for long periods of time. And with no recovery, you talk about a red zone. You're running the risk of keeping players in the red zone. He's too important. He's too important for this team and balancing this team out for him not to be playing. So you've got to get him ready to play and to stay in the side rather than us losing him now for the best part of... He's, he's, he's going to go to the IPL. So he's going to go to the IPL in, all, uh, in April. Are we just sort of going back to square one? If we play him this week, then we fire him all the way home and then he has to get ready for the Caribbean, which he'll not be fit for from a bowling point of view because if he's got a side strain... That's minimum eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, because he's got no real, or his preparation is, is, is hampered by, because he's we're trying to sort of, then you, you, all you're doing is you're just, you're not getting them 100% fit. And then not 100% fit cricketer. No matter, no matter how good or how big a character Ben Stokes is, then it's, it's pretty pointless. So, you know, get him, get him fit properly, get him prepared and ready to go again. And we'll see the benefit. We'll not see the benefit of an 85% Ben Stokes. Finally, uh, in this section, um, what about um, Hasib Hamid? I mean, there was a brilliant uh, analysis piece from by Steve James in the Times um, talking about how out of touch and, and desperate he looked. Uh, there were a lot of people who were surprised that uh, he kept his place and it was Rory Burns who was dropped. I mean, overall, it was a much improved batting performance at the SCG. But do you make that change? Do you bring Burns back for the last test in place of Hamid? Zach Crawley batted beautifully, by the way. You should give him a mention. Yeah, yeah. Zach batted brilliantly. But Manners, did we not say that right at the very start of the, the series? You did. Zach, Zach Crawley had to play. No, we, we both did. We both thought the bouncing ball, Zach Crawley, tall guy, would probably play the bouncing ball the best. I wouldn't have dropped Burns as much as Burns infuriates me with his technique and the way he is. He always gives a bowler a, a, a chance to give a... He's always given him a chance by the way his body shape is and movements. I would have dropped Hamid and left Burns in because I thought Burns was drinking out the last chance saloon bar. I didn't think Burns comes back. I really didn't. I didn't think Burns would ever wear the England shirt again. But I think he wears it at Tasmania now because I looked at, I looked at Hamid's dismissal in the second innings. Mitchell Stark bowling him. And I tell you what, as a number 11, I'd be embarrassed by that. I'd have been embarrassed by that. I'd have gone off and I'd have told, I wasn't somebody who told the changing rooms of that that much. But if I'd seen that again, I'd have gone, what on earth is that? 
his feet his feet were going down leg stump. His arms was going to, his his back was going towards extra cover, and you could have get a double decker ball sideways through the middle of the. And he's supposed to be our opening batsman, so I don't want to make mock of him. Or, but that tells me he's he's, he's just fried. His yeah. brain's fried. So this kid needs for his own good to come out of the firing line. And Burns goes back in. And the combination with Burns and Crawley, and why I said that right at the very start, was Crawley has this way of you know, hitting balls well down the ground. He's a positive player. He wants to score. And the left and right-hand combination would be good because Rory, the one thing Rory Burns does, he scores in unusual areas to get off strike because his techniques are you know, sometimes all over the place. He gets a lot of inside edges and outside edges into gaps. So the rotation of strike not only works for Rory Burns, but if, if he's continuously getting good balls and he's getting inside edges onto his pad, it goes past short leg into mid-wicket. The change of strike, if the right-handed batsman comes on and he gets over pitch and he belts of a four, all of a sudden they stop thinking about Rory Burns because then they think about Zach Crawley. At the minute, they can think all they want about Rory Burns because Hazib Hamid is going nowhere. He's stuck in his crease, he's blocking balls, and they're digging a hole. Where Burns and Crawley, I think the combination would work a lot better because Crawley had looked to belt it, where Burns is a little bit more a little bit more reserved. He gets off strike in unusual ways, but bowlers will then be put pressure on because of the way Crawley's playing. And Burns might just be able to get into an innings and ease into an innings. So that's why I'd make the change. So we're looking ahead to the fifth and final test in Hobart, which is exactly what Stuart Broad. Uh, said in very clear terms after the Sydney Test match. And it was what's really interesting to me is that in so many cases, with even with a senior player like Stuart Broad, if they feel that speaking honestly, talking the truth, is getting them into trouble and losing them friends in influential places, they sometimes, mostly actually, Shut up, um, if they particularly if they want to to carry on as Stuart Broad obviously does. But here he is uh, with some advice for the group. It's a mindset now that I think within this group, instead of looking ahead at what's coming next year, what's coming in the winter, what's coming in the next Ashes series, actually, can we get back to the real basics of what's ahead of us right now? How are we winning this next Test match? Because sometimes when your brain gets leads you too far too far away from what's in front of you you you're not focused on delivering what you need to deliver in that test match so um for us as a group i'd i'd sort of urge us as as players to you know we we don't know what the world's going to look like we don't know what cricket's going to look like in in june and in next november but can we win tomorrow can we win the next opportunity that's in front of us and i think um that should be a real focus for for the england cricket team going forward because it's all well and good planning for ashes and planning for the next away ashes and looking at the world test championship but actually if you don't win the battle in front of you it's all irrelevant so a bit of a short-term mindset in my opinion um, for the next couple of games because there's some points to prove for every player. That's Stuart Broad saying um, we need to concentrate on what's happening tomorrow and the day after and not worry so much about uh, about what's happening in the future and do you know what? I mean, you would be hard-pressed not to think of that as a little bit of a dig, maybe not at Chris Silverwood, but at the whole management team. You know, it's a sort of, he doesn't mention rest and rotation, but he is saying there's no point in looking three, four, five months ahead, year ahead 
if you're getting belted next week. No, well, and he's right. He's, he's always right. Stuart knows what he's saying. He's calculated. He's good at what he does. <laughs> that's why he's going to walk straight off. He's, that's why he's going to hang his bowling boots up. And he's not going to do Sir Alistair Cook style and go and bowl 40 overs for knots a week. He's going straight into the commentary box. He's going to pick a microphone up and do exactly what he says in that interview, which is tell us the honest truth, be nice and open, not sugarcoat things. Um, and that's why he's going to make a fantastic broadcaster. But he's he's spot on. We 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 get too far with talking about too far ahead, what's coming around the corner when we are miles away in English cricket at this moment in time from with the Red Bull stuff. We're bottom of the we were, we were bottom of the World Test Championship, and we can't seem to find a way of getting moving Broad and Anderson on, because in the grand scheme of things, you would have more or less a ready-made replacement, and we've got one close, I think, for for Stuart, but Stuart's five years younger than Jimmy, and since Jimmy turned thirty-five, his average has been ridiculous, and I think that's why Stuart says what he says, because he wants to carry on playing. I don't think we've got a replacement for Anderson. I think Robinson's the closest thing we've got to Broad. And if Robinson's body looks after itself, then he might be able to nail down that tall bowler that hits in and around that off stump. But Broad is still, he's still relevant. And it's all well good having these opinions. And it's all well good saying what you're saying. But boy, do you have to perform. And Stuart's done that. He's come out and he's performed. And he's had the right to say what he said because... When you look at COVID, I think it's been a good excuse for the England selectors to have what they thought was a a plan to look after people. But the problem is, you look after people, that's right. But what you look after them for, when you get to it, then you nail down your best team. England's team for the first test match for Brisbane should have been the same team for the second one, same team for the third one, possibly same team for the fourth one because that's how we're going to win the Ashes. We've rest and rotated all these players to get us in a position to win the Ashes. And then what do we do? We make a complete holex of it because we don't pick the right team in the first Test match. We do it in the second Test match. And then all of a sudden we are, we are chasing, chasing a formula. Wait, hold on. What have you been doing for two years? You know, for two years, you've been chasing a formula to get people in and out of bubbles, in and out of life. And we understand that, know that for a fact. But what you've done it for was to try and be the best team you possibly can in the Ashes. And that was the best team for five test matches. And unfortunately, they haven't done that. I've got, honestly, I've got a horrible feeling that Mark Wood bowled them five overs at the end of the day because he wasn't going to, he's not going to play in Hobart. Oh, and that no. for me would just be suicide. Hang on, hang on, Harmy. I, I was just about to ask you, surely it's just Robinson Sorry. for Leach, isn't it? Uh, and, and Broad Anderson, Robinson... And Mark Wood, surely you don't need to. Man, is that's a logical thing? But how many times have we sat here on the Tuesday, Tuesday <laughs> night cricket collective, and gone, "What are they doing?" We get that all the time, and I, it is. It's just just standing out there. We can't get rid of Broad and Anderson because we haven't got ready, ready made replacements for Broad and Anderson. And on the other hand, is why would I want to get rid of Broad and Anderson? They're still the best two bowlers, still two of the best bowlers we've got. So we shouldn't be talking about edges numbers. They can play together. They've proved they can play together. If you pick them together in seven test matches in England, more often than not, if you put runs on the board, we'll win. We've done it for years. And that's, that, that, that's never going to change my opinion. While Stuart Broad can keep going to the well and Jimmy Anderson can keep going to the well for fourth and fifth spells 
and they can keep doing it. Fine, you pick them because their skill levels are high. If there's somebody else, which there might be one or two underneath, then you might you might try and see what it's like because I can't imagine the group being being free because Broad and Anderson have been there all the time and it's it, it, the things are set in stone. Management come in, captains come in, they try and change it, but they can't change it because they've got these two senior guys who are still powerful in that environment. But that's never going to change. But until you've got a ready-made replacements, that's we think in a year's time or two years' time is going to be better or as good, then unfortunately you've got to keep playing them and they're still the best at what we've got. All right, let's turn our attention to Australia just briefly. Um, and let's start with Usman Khawaja's eyebrow-raising uh, comments after his double hundreds, his twin hundreds at the SCG. Yeah, I'm probably quite resigned to the fact that I probably will miss out just the way, just talking to um, George Bailey and the selectors about continuity and making sure we have a similar team and what team they picked for the first test match. Um, I, I'm not totally against that either. The process I felt like throughout my career, a lot of changes were made and I was on the wrong side of them from my point of view a few times. And I'm the first to say that uh, I think this needs to be structure and stability. I know how hard it is for a cricketer chopping and changing and on your confidence and whatnot. So I'm, I actually like the processes that the selectors have been taking throughout the series. So yeah, at the moment, I'm not really um, expecting to play the next test match, but I'll always be ready for whatever happens because who knows? Someone else may get COVID, something might happen. You just got to stay ready. Uh, Sussman Kwanja, and uh, it's interesting. I mean, he he says that uh, he he got the impression he's not playing in Hobart after speaking to the chairman of selectors, George Bailey, uh, who spoke a lot about the importance of continuity. And he says he agrees with it. Really? I mean, that, you know, exceptions have to be made, don't they? Maybe maybe he opens, but then would that be fair on him? Marcus Harris hasn't had a, a great series. Uh, well, he has compared to England's openers. But honestly, what, what do they do with, uh, with I don't know, there's, there's three or four players who, uh, who deserve to play who aren't going to. But Guadja, after a couple of hundreds at Sydney, doesn't play the next test, really? Yeah, that that's up there with Ajaz Patel, that isn't it? If um, in New Zealand, it's. I think he plays. Does he go? I think he might go in first. He might open, but I could understand his comments. Actually, I could understand George Bailey's thinking in a way, which is, if we go, we potentially now could go with two thirty-five or thirty mid-thirty openers, when we've got somebody that we've invested a bit of time in, Mar- uh, Marcus Harris. But on the other hand, with that, with Harris. I'd also be looking at it and thinking a bit like the Ollie Pope one, where we might just take him out of the firing line for a little bit and then put him back in. Um, because the longevity of Usman Khawaja at the top probably wouldn't be that long. Maybe he's nine months to nine to 12 months. But I can see you know, the logical reason why George Bailey might be thinking, right, Travis Head comes back in in the middle, got 100 in the series, batted really well. Unfortunately, he got COVID. But He's not the longevity. It's a bit like what I know what Stuart's saying about, you know, you pick your best team now um, and don't look too far in the future. This is different when it comes to Australia because they're actually performing. The performance levels are very, very high. So if somebody at 23, 20, 23, 25 is performing at the standard that the 35-year-old is, or you potentially think that he can over the course of the next 12 months, then you go with that younger person, your younger player, because you hope that, his ceiling height when he gets to 27, 28, 29, when you've backed him, 
will go beyond what the 30, 35 year old has. So that's the idea of why you're looking at that. So maybe it's Kawaja, maybe it's George Bailey and, and, and Justin Langer. Just cut, say to Osman Kawaja, you're going to be number 12 most of the time. And if there's an injury, you're first, you're in. So you're basically being, you know, the perfect man to have in a crisis that you can bat one to six. You know your game. You're so experienced. And if we do have a, a whack on a finger, somebody gets COVID, an illness in the morning, we're not devaluing the group by putting you in and you can bat any way you want because you're experienced. And that's not a bad bad thing to have. Just very quickly, um, Harmi, um, finally, Pat Cummins said that Scott Boland, who's uh, had two of the most extraordinary uh, test matches, um, is feeling sore, which I think is a way of saying he's not playing in uh, Hobart. So who comes in, Jai Richardson or Michael Nisa? I don't think it really matters, to be honest. I think <laughs> when you're bowling with Cummins and Stark and Lyon, you go, you slip under the radar a little bit. So, But Bowling hasn't slipped under any radar. This kid has bowled <laughs> ridiculously well. Uh, he's bowled fantastically well. Um, can you get another game out of him? Is there any point? Is this going to be his last test match because of the, the age he's at? Does he come back again in Australian summer? Because he, he, he won't play in Pakistan because the, the likelihood is Swepson will play because he'll play the second spinner. So was that his last test match? Does he does he get another goal next year at the MCG and has a little benefit match when he goes out and says, thanks for winning the Ashes again? Because he was largely you know, largely down to him and he's bowling. You know, to, to get Australia over the line in MCG and then obviously what they've done this week. So I think I think Richardson would probably get the nod over Nisa. Richardson obviously deserves a go because he got wickets. But the Nisa fielding a lot as 12th man last week might suggest that he's get, he's trying to get um, some miles in his legs to, to play at Hobart. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. But next up, we'll look ahead... Uh, to uh, the England tour of uh, the Caribbean, five T20s and three test matches in March with the West Indies all-rounder, Jason Holder. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... 
England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. As promised, I'm delighted to say that uh, joining us live from uh, the Caribbean is uh, former captain, all-rounder Jason Holder. Jason, breaking news that the second one-day international against Ireland has been either cancelled or postponed because of COVID. So I'm going to ask you to put your news reporter's hat on (laughs) briefly and give us the the, the news on the ground. To be fair, I don't know the full details myself. You know, we've just been informed that the the second order has been basically postponed. I think there are a few more positive cases in the Ireland camp. And, you know, just taking the precautionary route to make sure that, you know, there are no more positive cases popping up. You know, they've had their fair share of COVID in their camp. So I'm just trying to do the, um, the, the, the relevant thing to do at this, at this stage and just be cautious um, going forward. And Jason, how, just explain to us how it's been for an international cricketer in COVID. Because England are in the ash, having the ashes at the minute. I lost a series 5 0 there, and people say, you know what it's like to lose 5 0 in the ashes. You know what it feels like to like these lot, but I'm like, I don't because COVID world is a completely different world. You came to England. How has it been now? Because you travel the world in franchise cricket. How is it for an international cricketer in the COVID world? Is it that difficult mentally or is it that difficult physically? Um, it's a bit both, man, because I feel as though we've played more cricket than, than ever. Um, and because of the bubbles, you've been made to come in earlier to do quarantines. And, you know, you're just constantly in a cricket environment. And I found that hard mentally uh, and then obviously challenging physically with the amount of cricket that we've played. Yeah, it's been hard to stay tuned and, and it just seems as though cricket is always at the forefront. You know, it's hard to take yourself away. And particularly for guys who, who are probably struggling on a particular tour, it's harder for them because, you know, normally you could go out and you refresh and maybe have a drink somewhere, you know, you go to some dinner, uh, probably see your friends or family and, and that's no longer available to you once you're in a bubble. So I think it's been difficult particularly for people who struggle. And I want to say struggle, struggle in terms of their cricket form. Uh, and then even for players who, who are doing well, it's still hard because it feels as though you're always constantly switched on. Uh, and that has been a, a mental st- struggle for, for most, if not every, every cricketer who's been playing since, since COVID. And how is it, Jason Holder, the, the team member now, the captaincy is not there? It's, is it, has that been an easy transition? Is it something that you thought, I enjoy? not having the responsibility or is it Jason Holder enjoys the responsibility of captaincy? I enjoy the responsibility. Um, for me, it was a little strange transitioning back into just being a player. But yeah, I think I've found my role now and my calling within the team and, and it's just more of a, on a you know, one-to-one basis, you know, helping the, the young crop, you know, really groom them in this, in this field of international cricket and give them 
you know, all the knowledge and, and power they need to, to excel. I think at first being on the field and not being able to, well, not having to deal with bowling changes and field placing and, you know, these tactical things has been strange, you know, but more, more or less it's been a burden off my shoulders. And, you know, it's just getting to the point now where I am slowly but surely understanding now how to, to get back into just playing. You know, and I think I'm I'm pretty much there. It's, it's, it was good to get a break before before this new year, and yeah, I feel refreshed and ready to go. If I can turn your memory back to a very very happy time, England's last uh, tour to the Caribbean. Of course, they haven't won since 2004, which uh, you can ask Harmy about in a moment. But <laughs> but um, England's last tour, and particularly the Barbados Test match, which was. Truly, truly spectacular with you scoring a double hundred at number seven, winning the series. I mean, we said at the time that would probably be one of your happy memories when you eventually retire. But um, are you looking back on it now? Um, honestly, I'm past it. You know, I see a, a few snippets here and there on, on the Indians and the actual test match. And to me, that was one of those surreal feelings, man. Um, everything just pretty much clicked for us in our test match. You know, we were able to bowling a lot cheaper in their first innings uh, and then in the second innings you know Ross and getting eight wickets you know us rallying from a from a peculiar position uh, myself and Shane putting on that partnership which really flattened the English English team you know so that was a, a really good series uh, and that test match to do obviously but I think I'm pretty much past it and you know I understand that as a, a time that's gone you know I thoroughly enjoyed it and I would love to relive it and you know, have it one more time, but you know, more or less, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. And you've got England coming coming up uh, twice in a short period of time. Two contrasting sides. Where's the sort of West Indies at at the moment in planning and preparation for first of all T Twenty, where you probably become the underdogs, and then the Test matches where you'd really fancy your chances to to beat the England side. Like I say, we haven't been won in West Indies since two thousand and four, and come off the back of an Ashes series where they've sort of underperformed. Yeah, I think those those will be two keenly contested series. Um, even in the T20 format, you know, we're probably in a stage where we're uh, rebuilding, but England is probably, quote-unquote, sending a, I wouldn't say a full-strength England, England team, you know, and, and that may be an opportunity for their guys, but also our guys to really lay the mark down and, you know, perform against quality opposition. You know, I think they're, they line up that they've, they've put out is still a very, very competitive one and they have some big name players in their, their lineup. You know, I think when you look down to the test series, it should be a re- really good test series. I think that one a bit more evenly matched in my opinion based on how both teams have been playing in the recent past. And England obviously would be looking to improve from their performance in Ashes and our last tour to Sri Lanka wasn't the best for us either. So I think two teams which are budding for success and, and have players in, 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 the, in their lineups who are hungry to, to turn things around. Jason, just um, quickly, it's a massive topic, obviously. And, um, it's unfair to ask you for a short answer. But um, you're in massive demand um, around the world, in, in T20 leagues uh, around the world. It almost seems from the outside as if you're, you may be more appreciated in, <laughs> in other countries than you are in the Caribbean. But you still obviously hold um, West Indian Caribbean cricket close to your heart you've always uh, remained uh, available and it just seems that um, that you hold a beacon for the passion for Caribbean cricket yeah I think for me honestly I've I've been blessed because I started playing international cricket at quite a young age and you know one of the things I've always had 
on, on in the forefront of my mind is playing for my country. And I got in early and I've been in the team since I started, to be fair. So I didn't necessarily have to run to the leagues. You know, it's still something that I would like to do. Uh, I'd like to do a bit more of. And now that I've just crossed over and on that age category where I've gone from my, my lovely 20s into the 30s, you know, I think I feel as though, you know, you need to make, make sun where they hit. I mean, right here where the sun shines, to be fair. So, yeah, it may be something I'm looking to, to transition into and play a little bit more franchise cricket, but still international cricket is at the forefront of my mind. And, you know, whatever I can do to contribute to Western cricket, you know, I'm, I'm willing and unable to do. You mentioned the franchise cricket. I'm always intrigued to, to talk to people about what it's like to change dressing rooms, go into a dressing room in Pakistan, to go into a dressing room in maybe Sri Lanka, going into an IPL dressing room, which would be a completely different dressing room to you'll ever be in because of the superstars that are involved. But then go back and what you can take back into the West Indies dressing room to potentially make some very, very good and exciting young players better. I think for me as an eye-opener, because... I obviously live in and um, breathe in West Indies cricket and I've been in, um, in and around that cricket all my life. And for me, I always try to make that comparison in different different parts of the world. You know, two of the best experiences I've had is playing county cricket and then playing in the Big Bash and playing in Australian setup. I think those two setups are, are ideal for development. Um, they've got all the resources necessary in terms of the infrastructure, the, the facilities, um, the coaching, even basically apparatus in terms of bowling machines and sidearm throwers, Merlins, these kind of things, which we in the Caribbean are not privy to everywhere we go in terms of each, each territory. And then just the camaraderie in which everybody goes around and goes about their business, you know, was, was awesome. Man. And I took so much from those two experiences. And, and, and then you go to a league such as the IPL where you got a lot more superstars and then budding English, I'm sorry, Indian super, superstars. It's, it's pretty much a really good good account of how successful different systems are and what you can bring back to the West Indian system to help and develop the West Indian system to get it to where it's meant to be. I think it's a work in progress, but you know, unfortunately, we're not as blessed as certain territories financially. I think that's where a lot of strain is you know, in terms of our financial resources. Um, hopefully, if, if in the not-too-distant future, we can get some more funding into our system. You know, I think we can put certain things in place where you would see perhaps in an English system or an Australian system. Fingers crossed to that. Um, and just finally, you can win the T20s or you can win the test matches against England. Which one do you want to go for? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I want to do both, man. Um, <laughs> all two would be, would be awesome. Um, but yeah, it should be a really good series, man. I, I think England are to the point where Questions are being asked if they could sustain the level of cricket they've been playing. And for us, a lot of questions are being asked if we could get back to you know, our winning ways and our dominance in terms of T20 cricket. So, again, there, there, are two, there are two series that I think should be, should be really, really good to watch. And two sides who are looking to, to look, make that progression forward and, and keep building. And finally, from me, Jason, the um, World Cup... Uh, um, qualifiers, um, the fact that there is a, a World Cup Super League uh, and the World Test Championship. Thumbs up from you for to give context to all of these series. Oh, if it was meant to, if it was down to me, and you know, I'd be looking to pick and choose. But <laughs> like, it's so much cricket being played. Um, I just find it hard for for us as a a full full member nation to having to go back into a world to qualify. I, I remarked before we had to qualify for the 2019 World Cup how hard it was 
to actually go and play against your associate teams who you not who you may not necessarily know a lot about. And that tournament was extremely hard because pressure was on us as a full member nation to win that competition. You know, luckily for us, we got down to the finals and qualified for the 2019 World Cup. But you see so many different teams now just sparking. I think with the advent of Francis Cricket and so many cricketers moving around the world, they are now accustomed a lot more, are playing a lot more cricket at the higher level. So I think it's, it's something to look forward to. And we, 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 we know we, we, what we're up against in, in terms of qualification and, and what we need to do in order to be involved in the 2022 World Cup. Jason, I know you've got some uh, unscheduled time off and I know you'd... Uh, well, it sounds like you actually might quite enjoy uh, some time off. I was going to say you'd rather be playing, but uh, um, hopefully the Ireland series uh, gets back on track. And I tell you what, we really, really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for having me, man. And let's hope everything goes back on track. And uh, let's kick off with the final word from Stuart Broad. Actually, uh, quite a lot of words from uh, Stuart Broad. <laughs> Harmy says, does speak rather well, uh, which is good because that's his future career. Uh, yeah, so um, he was asked um, how long he intends, uh, would like to carry on. This is what he said. I've still got a, a burning desire to, to play the sport. I must admit, a few years ago, I was umming and ahhing and uh, I spent a lot of time talking to my dad about it. And he had a, a great belief that you should play the sport you love for as long as you can. His famous saying is you're a long time retired. But, you know, he while the fire burns, you should play because uh, nothing replicates it. Nothing can bring you the satisfaction, the, the pain, the, the the highs and the lows and and like I sort of mentioned there, they are quite addictive. And Jimmy's been a, an inspiration for me. I see how much drive he's still got at 39, how much um, energy he puts into to not just the match days, but, but, the, but the training and the skill development. And um, Jimmy's record since he turned 35, averaging 21 or something. Why can't I replicate it? I'm not as skillful as Jimmy. I haven't got as as much armory in my in my locker as he has with the skills he delivers with the ball, but I, I feel like I've got the motivation and the drive. Similar to him, I've, I'm as disciplined as he is, and I feel like I can co- contribute as as much as Jimmy has uh, since that age. He's suffered a few injuries in that in that period of time, um, but being a red ball specialist, you do get gaps uh, here and there to be able to get those those injuries right. So. Yeah, he's he's a driving force behind my mindset, and um, you know he, he's great to great to be around. And I think that I've been obviously disappointed on this tour because I've not been able to have a real positive impact on it, particularly in the you know the big games when the Ashes are still alive uh, and, and kicking. And as a senior player, as an experienced player, they're the games that you want to stand up in and, and play and and show why you've played for so long. Um, so I think that is a disappointment that, that I do hold, but it definitely running in today, bowling in that sort of, that attack with Jimmy, with Woody, Leachy holding it end up. It was, it's what test cricket's about. You know, you keep coming back when it's tough. You get little breakthroughs. You can try and change the momentum of games. You're bowling at the best batters in the world. Uh, you have a chance of getting them out. It's, it's very special and, and not playing for a period of time. 2021 was my worst year for sure, um, both with the intermittent cricket that, uh, you know, sort of play one, miss one type experience for me. But bowling today made me, again, relight that fire. Like, yeah, I, this is awesome. You know, 
great stadium, good atmosphere, bowling at the world's best. It's what it's about. Beautifully honest. Uh, And, you know, admitting that a couple of years ago he was considering his future, but why can't he replicate Jimmy Anderson and play on till his 40th year? Terrific uh, to hear that. And, and, you know, Harmi, um, age is just a number and he is still one of England's best. He is still one of England's best. And I've said many times on the TalkSport 2, Critical Collective, Breakfast Show, anybody that had listened, it baffles me that he only played one relevant test match. How he didn't play in Brisbane. Oh, just forget Brisbane. Let's just... (laughs) People have done things that want to forget about Brisbane and I'm high up on that list. So he should have been played. He should have played at least two, possibly all three of uh, of the test matches. He's still the best at what we've got. I've chucked the the ball to Broad and Anderson any day of the week because between them, they've got a formula that grind a batsman into a position where they can get them out because batting techniques, I think, uh, have diminished over the the years. So why not? Two years ago, three years ago, I was questioning whether he still had the drive and the hunger to play against everybody and not just against some of the big teams. But now he seems as though once they left him out the first time, and we did it in TalkSport 2, did it in the Caribbean, and Barbados when they picked Sam Curran over Brody on a, on a one that went through, that I think that was a tipping point for Stuart where he turned around and went, right, I'm not going nowhere and I'm going to prove to you I'm not going nowhere. And every time he gets left out, he says something and follows it up with a, a, a decent performance. So why, why, why can't he carry on? No reason. No reason at all, as long as he's got the desire and the fitness. And uh, he says, he said as well in that interview that uh, he's just as disciplined as uh, as Jimmy Anderson. So, yeah, um, while, he, while he wants to and he's producing the goods, absolutely carry on. Um, so on to the rest of the world. Uh, two stories that caught my eye. South Africa refusing for the first time to give uh, non-objection certificates, NOCs, in other words, permission for their players to uh, to participate in the upcoming Pakistan Super League, the PSL. And then Cricket Sri Lanka stating their desire for their players to give them at least three months' notice before they retire from Test cricket. Do you get a sense that uh, international administrators are trying to push the tide back? They're trying to stop the waves from the sea crashing onto the beach? Yeah, it does look that way. My only worry is that you start then losing players hand over fist and it just takes one. It just takes one to put his middle finger up to the board and I'm off. And then if it's a big name, a big player, and he becomes a freelance cricketer, then who follows that? Um, I think in England, around about 2008, I think Kevin Peterson and Andrew Fintoff were probably the two that were the closest that I've seen to go, to go right, if I'm not allowed to go and play in the IPL, I'm not bothered. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going freelance. I think Freddie would have done that if he hadn't been getting injured. So... I look at the, the, the Schwanker decision, they're not really in a position of strength, players-wise, to do that. And that that be be interesting if one of their big guns, say Murley was still playing or Malinga was still playing, and they decided that this was going to happen. I don't see that 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 would happen. But the South African one really that's a strange one for me because we've seen a lot of cold packs leave South Africa and we've benefited. New Zealand have benefited at the minute with Conway. But I look at that and they've just specifically said the PSL. And is it is it coincidence that India are in South Africa at this moment in time, Manners, 
is it India putting pressure on South Africa to say, we don't want you to, your players to go and play in Pakistan and play in politics with a game? Because I know a few times, I think Monty Panasar came out and said he was more or less told he couldn't, he would never get an Indian visa again if he went and played in one of the one of the Pakistan leagues or the Kashmir league. So is this Pakistan, is this Pakistan, Premier, uh, Pakistan Super League um, thing with, with South African cricket board, is this an India-driven thing? Or is the board just said, right, no, all you players, we want you to stay in this country. Um, but I didn't think they could do that, really, because they don't chuck their finances around for domestic cricketers. As conspiracy theories go, Harmi, you've come up with uh, far more exotic and uh, and less plausible ones. That's, that's what's, it, what's very... it like from over there, from a media point of view? What, it, what are you hearing, seeing? Understanding, talking, because you you talk a lot of it to this sort of and, and well, it's just a timing thing. It you know, it's just that it's coming up now, and South Africa have got a pretty busy um, international schedule. Um, they've got a couple of Test matches in New Zealand, and then Bangladesh come here in March. So, and it only applies to the nationally contracted players. But here's my point, Harmi: is people bless them still have a belief that South Africa is uh, you know one of the big teams and they do produce some very very good players and they have just beaten India in a test match and and they you know they they've had their moments and they've been at world number one but financially South Africa is a tiny player mm. and you know the 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 players South African nationally contracted players aren't paid very much money mm. and same with New Zealand exactly the same with New Zealand but look at the results that New Zealand are getting from their teams over the last couple of years when the board have taken a view, mm. we cannot compensate you for not playing in the IPL. Therefore, we will reorganise our entire international schedule, allowing you to go and earn and maximise your, your the time that you have on the field. And... I just believe that the teams, countries like New Zealand and, and Sri Lanka and South Africa, the more they try and pin players down to contracts when they can earn twice, three times, four times as much, is futile. Absolutely, it's going to backfire, isn't it? I was just about to say, I was just about to ask you that. Is, is, there, a, is there a somebody who is going to put that middle finger up to, to the board as well as they're just starting to drip feed their players back into South African cricket. You know, I'm with Yorkshire at the minute for a, for a few days and they've got Dwayne Oliveira, who was still contracted to Yorkshire, overseas player. Where does his future lie? Does he, you know, not go back to Yorkshire because this, you know, Yorkshire have got him on a, on a, on an overseas contract. I think I'm just speculating here. I don't yeah, know yeah. the ins and outs of what, what Dwayne Oliveira's contract is, but has he, has he got a decision to make? regarding Yorkshire because he's now in the test team and the, the test calendar or the international calendar for South Africa. They're playing quite a bit of cricket around the England English summer because they're coming to England as well. So is there going to be somebody coming out of the woodwork to go, no, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm off. Um, and where do players set their allegiance? Do they set their allegiance on domestic cricket and playing international or do they try and change the board's mind and say, come on, you can't do that? Well, um, I think in, in Dwayne Olafia's case, um, you know, he, he's played four first-class games back in the South African domestic system for the first time in three years. Um, he's the leading wicket-taker. He took uh, 25 wickets of 14 
And I think that Graham Smith, who's the director of cricket at uh, uh, um, Cricket South Africa, has just said, we've got a test series coming up against India, playing them at, at the Wanderers, which is where he's playing his cricket now. And we want to win it at all costs. And we need to do whatever we need to do. But if I was to Anola fear, I would, I would say, listen, um, I'm still contracted by Yorkshire. I'm, I'm going to be loyal to them on the basis that loyalty is bought. I'm sorry, but in professional sport, loyalty is bought. Is, loyalty, yeah. and Yorkshire have bought his loyalty. So he must be available for South Africa outside of the English summer. And I yeah. think that more and more players will reach the same conclusion. Yeah, and the, the money that, I would imagine, the money that he'd be earning at Yorkshire, taking back to, uh, to South Africa, the currency in South Africa, would be <laughs> a lot more than his contract. That's cricket South Africa and... The same as some of the players that could get PSL gigs and and, and and others that when it comes back into into the rand, you're right, spot on, 100%. Loyalty is bought in sport. No matter which sport you play, you can play football, tiddlywinks or whatever. <laughs> you know, the man that the man the best, the man that's got the man that's at the top and he's the best, tends to be the man that earns the most money. Oh, thanks, Sammy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. And a reminder, the fifth Ashes test between Australia and England gets underway in Hobart at 4am on Friday morning. We'll be back next week to review that series and we'll hear exclusively from England's white ball captain, Owen Morgan. Thanks for listening once again to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.